for this. I really just want an email. That's it. Now I've now I've succumbed to groveling, literally opening the show without even a welcome. Because maybe I'll get an email complaining, Mike, you didn't welcome us. All right, welcome in God's Word during exile. Regardless of not getting an email, I'm still happy that you decided to join us and listen. Don't I forget got two emails today. I I did. Both of which were from individuals within the box frames right now. Mm. Neither of which I can share on this podcast. So there it is. Thanks. But I did get some emails, but I would love some more. So just in case you forgot, the email is God's word during exile at gmail.com. You don't have to put any spaces in between it. We made it nice and easy, trying to keep it concise. You want to send us an email? It would brighten my day. I can't even tell you. I'm When we go to do something else, I'm going to find a gif of how excited I would be if I get an email, and I'll show it to you, which would be good. So, hey, you know what? We're here, and I have a guarantee for everybody who's li- – or a guarantee – depending upon how you pronounce it. How do you guys pronounce it? Is it guarantee or guarantee? What do you say? Guarantee. All right, good. I'm just telling you, I had a good friend who pronounced it. Well, they still pronounce it because they're not deceased. Guarantee. So I guarantee it. What about uh, what about the word W-A-S-H? It's wash. Wash. Oh, I did, I did know a person who said Warsh, actually. So yeah. the first time I, I heard someone say Warsh, I thought I had been pronouncing Wash wrong and spelling it wrong my entire life. You know, fun fact. Remember when Seth was younger and he how he used to pronounce the word banana? Mm-hmm. And I tried to convince you to make sure that he grew up thinking that banana was pronounced banana. I remember that. And he, it he grew out of it. Good. Yeah, he, he grew did. out of it all on his own. I gotta, I gotta admit, not happy about that. Some of my favorite memories about like little Seth were when you'd say Steve Holt, and he would just stick up an arm from wherever he was. He's hiding in his blanket fort, and an arm will shoot out. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Ah, the good old days. We we better start uh, another new podcast about parenting tips. Yeah, yes. probably. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here, so that reminds me of the guarantee that I'm going to give everybody. Uh, I guarantee that today we are going to finish Revelation 19, and that's why I'm going to abruptly end my intro in order to allow Matt to open us in prayer <clears throat> and. Hopefully that will give us the ample amount of time in order to finish chapter 19 so that we can go on 20 next week. Take it away, Matt. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, bringing us through your word, uh, through this podcast, this gathering together, uh, because we each need your word each and every day. And, um, and the encouragement of doing this together too is also a blessing. And so we just pray that you'd be with us, uh, be with each person that's listening or watching this and participating, and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work on our hearts, that 
we would be impacted by the truth of your word and, and that it would change us, that it would lead us to repentance of our sins and, and a place of brokenness and contrition. Uh, but, but then, Lord, that your Holy Spirit and your word would also lead us to the cross, to the finished work of Jesus, that we would be forgiven, set free, given peace and hope. And uh, even as we look at these verses today, then, Lord, may we be both convicted and encouraged in, uh, uh, through your gracious work in us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ben, will you read Holy Scripture for us this morning? I think we're doing chapter oh, 19. It's the morning? It is in Montana. Oh, all right, cool. Will you read scripture for, and it is for Ben too, for another six minutes. So will you read morning scripture in the afternoon on the East coast, Revelation 19, 17 through the end. Guys, if you want, if you want, uh, you know, betting information, apparently I'm in the future by an hour, two hours, So two hours for some people. So if you need like info about sports teams and stuff, let me know, because apparently I'm ahead of the curve right now. So, all right, Ben, scripture time. Even though I already knew that you were going to read that because I heard you read it an hour ago. All right. Revelation 19, 17 through 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Here ends the reading. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Boy, I kind of wish we finished this last week. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this uh, chunk of scripture is um, it's pretty brutal and graphic. So may maybe let's pull back and do kind of a big picture thing. Like how, how can we actually feel good about this passage as graphic and as brutal as it is? Because it, it starts out like, come gather for the great supper of God and then just gets brutal. Um, so how, how, how should we look at this? How should we understand this so that it's a good yeah. thing? So from my standpoint, I look at it as this is nothing that we didn't already know was going to occur. You know, like, so like, this isn't a surprise to us. It's not like all of a sudden God chose to do this and act in this particular way. We knew that this was coming. We knew that we could be rescued from it. We knew that we could be on the winning side from it. So this is God keeping right once again with a promise that he made that he would do. Uh, and so for me, it's like, 
this is just the culmination of what he promised he would do to end sickness, pain, death, sorrow, sadness, the devil, all of those things. This is like the pinnacle of that being destroyed, being wiped off, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So I look at it as nice. I mean, it also spurs me on to be like, I need to do a better job telling people about what's going to come because if I don't and I choose to just keep it to myself, some people's outcome is going to be literally what we are hearing right now. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I think it's um, a couple of things about, so when you think about, you know, people who, you know, who have died and so on, <clears throat> kind of the most, to say the most disgraceful or insulting thing would be either to leave their dead body out to decay, um, you know, out in the open and not be buried, um, perhaps next to that, or maybe worse than that would be, you know, to be eaten by, you know, birds and wild animals. Most you know, respectful so thing is put them on a Viking ship, light it on fire <laughs> under the water. Uh, and so instead of, <laughs> instead of a kind of, you know, burial or, or even a, a cremation kind of thing, um, the bodies are just left to rot and to be uh, eaten by wild animals. And so we can kind of see that too in the, in the Old Testament with uh, Jezebel, right? So God's judgment on her was a rather, you know, ignominious or shameful death, um, not only... And she was cast out of out of a window, and she was thrown to her death. But she wasn't buried. There was no burial ceremony for her uh, because the wild dogs came and ate her flesh and licked up her blood, right? And when they came to bury her, there was nothing left. They consumed her body, right? Um, and that was a particularly harsh judgment from God because she had done so much evil. Uh, not only was she, you know deeply involved in the worship of Baal, Baal, um, but she also incited her husband, King Ahab, to great evil. Not that Ahab wasn't evil himself. He was, but Jezebel encouraged him in that. And so she died a pretty gruesome death and she was not buried. Um, her corpse was consumed by wild animals. And I think that's the same kind of picture you know, here it's the same kind of thing with David and Goliath. And David says to Goliath that after, you know, he kills him, he will basically leave his body for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It's the same idea, right? So no burial, but desecration, right? And so we see that here on a global scale, right? So all of the enemies of God are destroyed by, by him, and they are not buried, they are not honored, they are left to rot and be consumed by wild beasts, right? So it's uh, it's a most shameful way to die, 
right? And so this would be, you know, the severity of the judgment that there will be no burial for them, but rather they would be consumed by the birds and the beasts and, and their bodies would kind of rot and decay for eternity. As Isaiah tells us at the end of his, of his book, that those who, who die in rebellion against the Lord, he says their worms shall not die. Right. So if you think of, you know, worms and whatnot infesting corpses and that, that corpse will never be, you know, that flesh will never be fully consumed to be an eternity of being eaten by worms. Right. It's pretty gruesome for us to think about, but that's the picture that is painted of the severity of the judgment of God upon those who refuse to trust in him. I'm going to be honest, Ben, you didn't make me feel better about it. Oh, wow. Was I supposed to? <laughs> well, I guess. I think. Ben, I think wait, hold on really uh, quick. Ben, you used a word that I had never heard in my entire life. It was really? ig- igno, ignoramus. Ig- igno, ignominious. Ignominious. That's the word. I had never heard that word before. Still don't know what it means but I'm going to look it up. No clue. No clue. Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think it's fine if we are um, struggling with this, honestly. Um, I think it would be kind of a wrong attitude if we were totally delighting in the suffering of these other people, you know? Um, And I don't, I got to be careful about the words I use for, this but i think delight would be a bad thing if we delighted in this happening and yet um and and we i just i'll say that i don't think god delights in it because because of verses like that he does not delight in the death of the wicked you know and so that's why i say it that way but at the same time even though that's that's true because we're, we're not just cruel and, and hoping the worst for people. There's still, I think, a sense of satisfaction for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, for one thing, God's people have been protected then from the evil ones, from their enemies. And so for those who are on the other side of this, there's a sense of relief that this wickedness has been done away with. And as a part of that too, uh, for the comfort of believers who have had injustice done to them, but also just for the general sense of justice, I think we can be satisfied with this because um, this is right. This is a just punishment for sin. And so I was thinking about how in some ways this reminded me of the, the passage about the prostitute and the beast and the um, shedding of the blood of the saints and, and these others, because that was a pretty brutal passage we worked through as well. But, but the difference really is justice and righteousness in all of this. And in the other case, it was trickery and it was harming innocent people and righteous people and delighting in the death of these people 
and and this is so opposite of that because this is a just punishment for the crimes and um and be and god is not cruel in delighting in it but he is a just judge and he's bringing the proper um he's executing the proper punishment here um and and also you know we we remember that god had given us thousands of years of warning before this too right and god had sought to avoid this for as many people as possible which i think is a great thing uh natal that you pointed out that this should spur us on to missions because we're still in this period of the warning a call to repentance right and and even this picture then of what's going to happen should be one that that wakes us up to repent and believe uh but also to go and and share that message with other people but as, as brutal as this is, <clears throat> you guys have already mentioned this, it is, it is just and it is good that God brings judgment upon sin and on wickedness, right? Um, as we think back to other things we've taken a look at in Revelation, like I believe it's chapter six, I think the fifth seal gets opened and you see the saints underneath the altar who have been martyred for the faith and their call is how long, Lord, are you going to allow this to continue? Right. And this picture of the end of the world and God's judgment is his answer to the prayer of the saints. Mm-hmm. And we've heard that prayer, not just in Revelation, but that prayer is kind of throughout scripture. I think like um, the Psalm of David, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long are my enemies going to triumph over me? And then, you know, that Psalm resolves in remembering the promises of God. But all of that ties into God's ultimate mm-hmm. bringing of vengeance and justice in the last day, which is good. Um, and it is just, and it is right, but man, it's, it's painful to look at and scary for us to look at. And you're right. It should spur us on to sharing the gospel so that no one has to face that because that's truly what God wants is no one to be destroyed on that day, but all to be saved. Hmm. All right. Well, let's start kind of looking through, um, the text of this, since we did the big overview thing, um, John sees a, another angel once again, right? We don't need to identify this with a specific angel unless you're sure that he's like from the angelic line of Natalie. No, we're okay. Uh, standing in the sun. Uh, and then the angel calls out, right? Come gather for the great supper of God, which sounds really encouraging. And then we get into the details to eat the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, horses and riders, the flesh of all men, slave and free, both great and small. Uh, Does anybody escape this judgment? Yes. None of the guilty, none, none of the, you know, none of those who are remaining in their sin. Trying to think, I'm looking up something here. Oh, I was just playing on your, on your, taking your statement as a very vague statement when you asked, do any escape, but that was going to be snarky. But yes, those who are sealed by God. You should, you should have been snarky and said that. <laughs> that's what, that's why I leave things vague. So you guys can be snarky and say whatever you want. Come on. Uh, I'm looking back at Revelation chapter six, since I just kind of brought that up with the saints calling out, but that first picture of the end that we get when the, when the sixth seal is broken, 
um, we see a really similar wording. Uh, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, everyone slave and free, hiding from the wrath of the lamb. So we've got, I mean, we've got the same picture, six seal and the destruction we're seeing here. It's, it's the exact same thing that's being talked about. The same people trying to hide and escape. And, and you're right. Of course, those who are sealed, those who are believers, they do escape this judgment, um, but, but none of the wicked do. And so, I mean, the difference is that not that we all weren't guilty of sin before, but now those who are in Christ are clothed with Christ and there's no condemnation for them. They have been justified, which means to be declared innocent because they are in Christ. And so that's why I said none who are guilty and remain in their sin. Um, and so we're saying the same thing, but uh, it's, it's definitely an exhaustive thing. All who are not in Christ by faith and, and then declared just and right, uh, all who are apart from Christ, every single one of them will go through this. There will be not one who escapes. Any other thoughts on verses 17 and 18, or should we get into the destruction of, uh, of the beast? In the full maybe, maybe just a quick thought. I don't know if you want to pursue it at all, but I mean, we might take it for granted that that that's obvious, but uh, that that no one would escape from this. But just think about how different that is than a lot of what is being said right now, even by uh, confessing Christians or people who call themselves Christians. That you know, Buddhists or or Hindus or whoever that just believe well and and are faithful to their their uh the god that they call god you know and and such that that they're going to be fine as well um because it's about sincerity of faith or it's about being a good person or being spiritual or whatever it might be uh we have many people that are trying to broaden this and allow for others who are not coming through christ to, to come in um, and, and this is just a complete statement that opposes all of that nonsense that, that there will not be one person apart from Christ and the righteousness that he gives that will be spared from this. And it doesn't matter how nice the person is. It doesn't matter how sincerely they believe these errors or in these other gods or whatever, they will not be spared of this. That's it. That's that's the judgment on the last day. It's not how many doors you held open for nice old widows and how many nice things you did to people. Um, it's it's whether or not you're in Christ. You're either a sinner or you are completely righteous in, in Christ. It's the only way. All right, well, let's look, jump down then to verse 19. Um, and John sees the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathering to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and his army, which of course, you know, that came right before us. That was, that was Jesus riding on the white horse um, with his army. Uh, what's being talked about in verse, verse 19. It's vague. You can be snarky, be snarky. I think well, Ben throws some characters that we've, we've heard referenced previously right and um 
you know, there were the the two beasts that were referenced before, but um, this is the beast and the kings of the earth. And we know that one of the beasts had represented, you know, a lot of that, that worldly power. And so here we see it again, the right where the, the kings of the earth, so all these mighty people who looked so strong and, and great here are now gathered together for this final battle. And, um, and then they're going to make war against Christ and his army here. <clears throat> so that, that final battle, we often call it Armageddon, right? That's a name that comes and gets used in other things. We've talked about the final battle and a few other places gets pictured here in Revelation, but we're seeing it once again here in verse 19. Uh, so let's look at 20 then and see, see the results of this battle. I, I find it interesting. Anytime we talk about the last battle, like we don't have chapters talking about like all of the wonderful fights that go on. It just rolls into, there's this great battle and the Satan, he riles up his forces and he does everything he can. And then um, it's just over, right? So the, the results are the beast is captured. That was the, as Matt identified, the, the government, um, kind of the wicked political power, um, along with the false prophet. They just, they just get captured along with everyone who's received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Uh, you know, I think we should probably detour a lot and talk about the mark of the beast again and identify that with things that are happening in life, right? Yeah, 100%. I think that's great. Uh, Mike, if I can bring us back to this thing that you just brought to our attention about how, you know, it seems like there's this big battle and then out of nowhere it says, well, you know, the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet. Um, and I... I think back and I don't know, I, I don't want to draw this correlation too closely, but like, it's kind of interesting to see how this just happens. Um, and we don't really have what the battle looked like, but just that it happened and that he, and that Christ came out victorious. Uh, and one of the things that I want to draw attention to is like, whenever Jesus interacts with a demon while he's on earth, Think about how that goes, too. It's not really like there's a fight. It's just kind of like Jesus is like, yo, dude, get out of here. And the demon's like, oh, yeah, you you, you got control over everything. I can't really do anything. Yep. You win. And so, like, a part of me kind of wonders, obviously, there's, there's portions that maybe aren't specifically scripted. But, like, God's always the victor, and he always wins, and he wins, like, without having to really do much of anything in terms of like his control, obviously he died on the cross to make that a thing. But like, I, I wonder if that's a correlation that can be drawn between, you know, his power over that and just how it's like, yep. Beast captured. Yep. This done thrown in the pit. We're done. That's it. Let's go. I mean, it's I think kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's the point. Like with, uh, um what is it when the when the devil is cast into the lake of fire or when he is described as being bound it's just like you know just an angel goes in and does it you know no big deal you know god just accomplishes these 
these things. And I think that's, that's the point. There's no contest. This isn't, we shouldn't think of, you know, like some, you know, cosmic knockdown drag out battle that, you know, God wins by a, by a nose or something like that. Like this is no contest. Um, and I think we'll, we'll give a sneak peek of some weeks to come. Um, but what's going on here in, in 19 is also spoken of from, you know, a little different angle in chapter 20. So in chapter 20, starting at verse seven, yeah, not that. <laughs> uh, you know, so we have, you know, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So we have a connection there to chapter 19, right? To gather them for battle. So they're kind of seeing similar kind of thing. Uh, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were. And they were they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you get a little bit of a different snapshot, as it were, a little bit of an angle, whereas 19 focuses in particularly on the judgment of the beast and the false prophet. In 20, we also get then following right on its heels, the judgment of the devil, the dragon, right? And then continuing... Um, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small. So same kind of language standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by that, which was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. So we get kind of the, between these two sections, we get kind of a full picture here because where 19 ends is that, you know, the rest, so those who had received the mark of the beast and who had worshiped its image, they were, slain by the sword that came from the mouth of of christ the one sitting on the white horse right and the birds were gorged with their flesh right so it gives that picture of of judgment but that's not um the final state as it were it's not just that but they also then as we see in revelation 20 they also will stand before god before the throne and they will be judged according to their deeds because they have not trusted in Christ, um, whose deeds then count as ours, right? And our deeds done in faith are actually, God receives them as good works, right? So, so those who are in Christ are those that are found in, their names are in the book of life. Those who are not, their names are in the other books. And those books contain their deeds, right? And they are judged and they end up in the same place as the beast and the false prophet and the devil, right? So the, the final state then for devil and demons and all who rebel against the Lord and refuse to trust in his son, it's all, they all end up in the same place, which is the second death, the, the lake of fire that burns forever. And this 
again, we want to remember too, for the unbeliever, this is a bodily existence in torment, right? Because they are raised from the dead also, but to everlasting death. And that's how we can speak of that, that, you know, it's the second death, the eternal fire. So they all end up in the same place, right? So we get kind of the end of 19 here, plus, you know, that part of 20, second half of 20 there, kind of fill in, gives us a little bit more color and detail, or if I want to say, um, to this last day, because they're both talking about the same, the same day. This is the final judgment. So the throne, think about how epic that throne must be that you just read about, Ben. My question with that throne is, do you think they had to file the teeth down before you could sit in it? Or do you think like, you think you just deal with the pain of sitting on the teeth? What do you think? Nothing? They don't think it's a literal throne. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. The part Which that I'm part talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, like, go back. Can you just read it one more time? That part about Which, the throne? Which part? You, you the, had a little attribute of what the throne was. You said it was a blank, blank throne. A great white throne? Yeah. So, yeah. like, do you think they had to file the teeth down for that? Or, like, you think they're just sitting right in the mouth? The, a great white shark throne. Isn't that what it is? <laughs> it has to be. I mean, that seems like the most realistic, <laughs> reasonable uh, interpretation of the Dr. Carol, what the world are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, think about that. You know, so like the shark and it's kind of like angled up with its mouth open like this. And like you're just seated right on it. Dude, think about how awesome that would be. In fact, I got so excited that I tipped over my water because I'm thinking about how epic this great white throne is. So now I gotta go clean up water. Uh, <laughs> but thanks, Ben, for that imagery of a great white, you know, sitting on a great white shark. I, I really tried to find a picture of a great white yeah. shark throne, and I there there's really nothing available. Guys, I'm pretty sure that there's money to be made in that. If you want to be a part <laughs> of our great white throne shark, um email me God's word during exile at gmail.com. We'll we'll go in have these. All right. Maybe this is a, a great way to get a left behind franchise with the Sharknado franchise and Ooh. get them to work together here on yeah. Rapture by Sharknado. <laughs> what? Okay. If yo, if we have Jason Goodham on anytime soon, let's just spring that on him without him. <laughs> what if okay. what if the Rapture is Sharknado? Seems reasonable. And so, I've, like, heard, people, I've heard crazier things. People get raptured <laughs> up in the air, and it's like you got to avoid the sharks too while you're going. Wow, yeah, that'd be intense. Right. Seems... Wow, this is the this is probably the most heretical episode we've ever had. It's close. It's in the <laughs> ballpark. That great white throne. Watch out for the shark throne, guys. It'll get you every time. <laughs> so. I have one more thing that I would like to uh, uh, bring up here on this, and it comes from one of the opening statements in this section that uh, that we kind of sped over quickly, but it says, this angel says, come gather for the great supper of God. 
And that's just such an interesting phrase um, and kind of horrific when we think about what then happens here. Think of that as a supper. Um, and then also, you know, so what, what connections should we make with this? You know, we've also got um, in the scriptures, we talk about the Lord's Supper and we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right. So can this be connected with either one of those? Um, it appears from my understanding to kind of answer my own question here that this is, you know, a different meal that then is happening with the marriage supper of the lamb and, and whether they're happening at the same time or what, I don't know, but, uh, or one right after the other, but this seems to be, you know, kind of the opposite meal that's happening, if we could say, um, where here all of the unbelievers, all those who remain in their wickedness are being punished, whereas at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we also have in Revelation, is a wonderful, gracious, peaceful feast uh, of, of uh, Christ in his presence. Christ and his bride, the church in his presence, all rejoicing together and uh, having all these delicacies and, and things. And uh, it seems that these two meals are set up to contrast with one another what's going to happen for people who either believe or don't believe. And um, so just bringing that up, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to say. But the Lord's Supper then would be a foreshadowing of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, and again, in contrast to this great supper of God. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the point because all of chapter 19 is dealing with this last day, this day of judgment. And so the first part of, of chapter 19 uh, the first 10 verses, um, we have the picture basically of, of what it'll be like for those who trust in Christ, for those who have the seal of God. And that's where we find the, the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, we have the language of salvation and blessing and glory of God and dwelling with God and, and so on. We have these, these great things. And then from verse 11 through 21, uh, we have basically the judgment of the wicked. And so rather than being gathered to Christ and to enjoy this marriage supper of the lamb, those who reject Christ will end up being the food on God's table for judgment, right? So instead of being invited to the banquet, others, you know, the birds of the air and so on are invited to feast upon the wicked. So instead of being guests, your food, basically, right? Instead of the blessing, judgment. So yeah, I do think they're meant to be set in contrast to each other as they come in the same context in the same chapter here. Um, kind of both both aspects of, of judgment day. It's like the parable too, where the there's the marriage feast going on, right? And then there, there's those who have either rejected the call or those who are <clears throat> or were tossed out you know because they were improperly dressed 
we're now um, cut off from the, this blessed feast and meal, right? And then instead there's outside of this feast, there's no protection, there's no blessing. Instead, it's punishment and being cut off. Yeah, and the idea that we're given is that these are happening at the at the same time and for eternity, right? This uh, <clears throat> the torment in the in the lake of fire and so on. Like we get that imagery too from uh, various parables, as you mentioned, Matt, where Christ will talk about the outer darkness as compared to those who are in the city, as it were. Um, you know, it's not like it's not like those who are in the outer darkness are just somewhere far away out of sight, as as it were. But the the imagery is like they're they're right there. They're not obviously participating in you know the blessing of God, which is depicted by what's going on in the city and at the banquet. But they are in the outer darkness. They are outside the city, outside the camp, but but not necessarily like out of sight, out of mind thing. Um, because Revelation will, John will also say, you know, that the smoke of the torment of those who have rejected Christ will go up before the Lamb and the and the twenty four elders and so on um, in the new city. And Isaiah talks about, you know, how the righteous will go out and, like, he gives the imagery of going out and looking upon the wicked who had fallen, and that's where he says their worm will not die. So it doesn't seem like it's a an out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, but like that these two realities exist side by side, as it were, um, you know, that whatever, whatever the new heavens and new earth will, will look like, we don't know, but you know, with that, but um, we know that they're a physical existence, but however that plays out and however that works, it's not like um, we just won't have any knowledge or there won't, you're like, they're just, you know, so there's no there's no idea of this annihilationism thing that people will just uh, eventually just cease to exist, but it is eternal torment day and night as judgment of God, and this is happening all the while. It is eternal bliss and and blessing uh, for those who belong to Christ. So there, it's all there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Well, fellas, I feel like we covered the entire bit we had planned on today in under an hour. Did that seriously just happen? Mike guaranteed it. it. I guaranteed it, guys. Guaranteed. And we even gave a little preview into chapter 20. That's true. Yeah, next week we get to talk about a thousand years. Thousand, thousand. Literal, literal. (laughs) all right any other closing thoughts you guys have because i think i think we covered it i think you can just pray us on out oh am i doing that again that's right that's okay i don't mind i mean you did volunteer to do it i guess i did didn't i all right let's pray father god thanks for today or thank you for this opportunity to dig into revelation chapter 19 and um and hear about your justice and your judgment poured out upon the wicked and upon the beast and upon the false prophet. Lord, thank you that you are a just God. Um, Lord, thank you that we don't have to cry out forever, how long until you bring vengeance. Lord, you will bring vengeance and you will do it in justice. 
Lord, we pray that many would hear your word, hear your gospel, and come to faith so that they wouldn't meet the end um, described here in Revelation 19, but instead would be able to uh, be able to join the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, and be with you in paradise for eternity, Lord. And thank you for all the promises you give here in Revelation. Um, by them, I pray that you would strengthen our faith in you. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Send well, me thanks, guys. Email me. God's word during exile at gmail.com. Email me. And remember, that's not how it goes. Jesus wins. Bye.